G'day and welcome to Occupied, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. This episode, we are having a chat with Erica Del Pozo, who is the co-host of the Burned Out to Lit podcast. We also explore her personal story and her passion behind assisting therapists to avoid burnout. How did OT find you? Because I, I don't, I, I'm a firm believer that we don't find OT. It somehow manages to weasel its way into our lives. Um, so how did it, how did it uh, worm its way into your life? That's so true, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it does find you. Um, so I was at a crossroads. I, I was a dance major in undergrad, and I really wanted to pursue a career in dance. And I was getting injured a lot. It was all, like other things thrown in there, but I don't think I was on the right path. Like I felt that I wasn't going to maintain a stable dance career. And I was a little stuck and figuring out, you know, what should I do? And coming, you know, growing up, I always had a strong interest in medicine and medical things and the body. Um, and then I remember talking to a friend of a friend and she told me, asked her, oh, so what do you do? She said, I'm an occupational therapist. And I said, what's that? <laughs> and um, she basically explained to me, you know, everything about it. And she worked in pediatrics. And I think a little light bulb in my head uh, switched because I figured out that that combines the creativity of me and the arts with the, the science and the medicine. And I couldn't have created a more perfect career, you know, at that point. And I was like, so um, ready to go all in. And after two weeks of graduating with my bachelor's, I somehow graduated on time with a dance degree, but fulfilled on my prereqs. So I started the OT program two weeks later. And I was just, um, you know, the rest is history. I was like, so in love with with this. And I was like, so grateful that uh, a career like this existed where I can merge the the arts and, and the science together. And so that's basically how I started. That's awesome. So and uh, are you like, was that in California? Or had you moved or? Oh, um, that was in Florida. So I'm from Florida. I'm yep. from Miami. Um, and um, never had gone anywhere for school outside of Florida. Um, and we just recently moved to California, actually, because okay. uh, my husband is a physical therapist and he's doing travel therapy. As in yeah. working while he travels or is it is it something else? Well, what's, what's um, travel therapy? Oh, I'm not sure if it's a thing in Australia or it anywhere be, else. But it's, I'm intrigued. It's it's really big here. Um, you get contracts. So there's recruiting, um, like there's agencies that have recruiters and they find you placements that are temporary, like 13 week assignments anywhere in the country, any setting that you desire, you can accept or decline. And you're working with this recruiter and you can move around the states. They take care of all the licensure stuff for you because each state has a different license procedure and, and all that stuff. So you can, it's basically allows you to be a nomad um, while, while working. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm surprised you guys don't have that. Yeah. We, uh, I mean, we don't have, we used to have, uh, like state by state registration, but we got national registration now, so that wouldn't be an issue. Um, oh, nice. you can, I guess you, you could do it, but you, I, I haven't, and I'm sure it probably does exist somewhere, but I haven't heard of any like agencies that will, um, support you to do it. Uh, there's nothing to stop you word like cruising around and, you know, just doing casual contracts. But I, from what I would understand, you'd probably have to find them yourself, which isn't 
too hard. It's just a bit of legwork. But yeah, an agency mm-hmm. that would do that for you would be awesome. Yeah, in the States, you can do it, but you can't do it internationally because, you know, you would have to take the boards all over again for another country. So you can do it on international U.S. bases um, around the world, but um, like you have to stay within U.S. And I'm sure I'm sure other countries have it as well, but I haven't explored that. Yeah, that would be fun. I like the idea of uh, just nomading. Yeah. There is um, – actually, I did hear – uh, there is a guy who I met through a podcast, um, and it was a podcast about travel. It wasn't a podcast. He's a he's a PT. Uh, well, we we call him physios over here. Um, but he he's doing something similar, but I don't know if he's. I'll have to ask him if he's going through an agency or if he's just finding the work himself. Because his podcast is called the Family Travel Podcast. Uh, and it's him and his wife and their two kids and like a couple of dogs or something. And they're literally, they're just traveling around Australia, um, and working. And he's just started a, a second podcast, which is about the work side of it, which I can't remember exactly what it's called. But I know he works in like aged care. Um, ah. but yeah, so he's, he's like working as they, as they move around kind of thing. Um, I'll have to ask him if he's, um, if he's through an agency or if he's just finding those himself, because it sounds pretty similar to, to what you're describing there. Yeah, yeah, it does. And you can do it yourself, but um, in terms of the U.S., because each state is so different, like it's just a headache to do it yourself. So that's why all these agencies exist. Uh, the, over there, I think the agency would be worth it just for the licensing and that kind of thing, which, you know, like I said, wouldn't be an issue here, but... Right. Um. Yeah, over there, I could imagine, because what do you got, 50, 50 states, 52 states or something? Like that's a lot, 50, of, that's yeah. a lot of different licensing <laughs> laws to try, yeah, and, yeah. to try and juggle. Uh, expensive too, and yeah, it's just really difficult. <laughs> yeah, no, that sucks. Cool. All right, so you're over in California now, and you're working. Are you just doing the um, Joy Energy time at the moment, or are you working on top of that? What's, how, does, how's, how does your day pan out? Uh, I, sometimes I feel like I'm the only one in the world (laughs) in my position, but I'm sure there's other people in my position as well. Um, you know, I just, because of this opportunity to leave Florida and I left my clinical job, I saw it also as an opportunity to pursue joy energy time full time and not necessarily because I'm making money from it right away, but because there's a lot of infrastructure and a lot of building that requires, um, 40 plus hours a week for me to do this. And when I was trying to set this up while I had, um, a full-time job in Florida, it was just a slow process. I was always tired at the night, like by the end of the night, when I finally got a chance to work on my, um, my business. And then, so now it was like a perfect opportunity for me to, um, work, have a home office and work on setting up all my courses and all the connections that, you know, I might not, I wasn't able to do beforehand, you know, and not everyone has this opportunity to, to go entrepreneur 100%, you know, right off the bat. And I didn't, so I'm taking advantage of this time now to get everything started. So had you already started Joy Energy Time like while you were still working clinically or is this completely new since you've moved? Um, I started it 
um, in 2017 and I started just right away opening the LLC. Um, so starting it as a real business and, um, having an idea of, okay, I want to help people. I want to create courses. Um, but it was a whole year of just creating one course, um, during that time. And just really, I really focused on building my audience through Instagram. And, uh, earlier this year, I started the podcast, which is like a sub, like a tangent of our business, so to speak. So it's been like, just trying to balance everything up, up until this point now, just focusing on courses and the podcast. And I think the, the podcast is obviously that's MySpace. That's where I first found you. Oh. And I found it because of the name and I thought that is just awesome. So burnt, oh, burnt out to lit up. I had never heard of Joy Energy Time at this point. I just found the podcast uh, and I'd start off like, oh, cool, like another OT podcast because – you know, that's what I do. So I like have a listen around and try and find like, you know, other people that are doing stuff in that, in this space. Um, but yeah, I just thought burnt out to lit up. Uh, it, it cracked me up. It lit up. Isn't a phrase that's often used too much in Australia. Um, <laughs> but myself being a suits fan, the TV show, uh, very much understood the, the, the phrase and yeah, it cracked me up. So I'm like, I have to listen to this. I can't not, it's, it's too, it's too <laughs> cool not to. Uh, and then, yeah. And obviously since then, like followed that sort of train of thought and found your energy time and found your Instagram and that kind of thing. And I think the one, the one thing that really grabbed me was you did a live story not long ago on your Instagram, um, about your personal story, which I won't go into a huge amount. I'll actually, I'm actually in the show notes for this, I'm going to link to because you did a, you've done a podcast on it since. Um, I'm going to link to that podcast so people can have a listen. But um, are you able to share just a bit around, I guess, why you started joining Energy Time? Like what your experience was, what made you sort of passionate about the area of looking at burnout and um, and that kind of thing, self care, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, like, I never s set out to be an entrepreneur and never thought I would be this and never was interested in business. So this started out of my own experience. And once I graduated from OT school, you know, you gain all the clinical skills in, in school and you gain a lot of experience during field work. But, you know, once you get out there, I wasn't prepared to deal with stress at all. And um, just there's so many different factors that contribute to burnout because you have personal factors, but then it's also combining that with just being in the workplace and those things that happen at work. Um, and so I had what uh, my husband, he introduced me to this phrase, having like low constitution <laughs> um, and not calling me, like not referring to me as having low constitution in that regard. But once I learned about that phrase, I can apply that to my own story of burnout. And I experienced burnout um, several times in two different settings over the first few years of being an OT. And it was just a really difficult time for me because I was, I didn't know what to compare my experiences to because there's nothing else I had experienced before. This was my first real job as an OT. And I was, um, I didn't know what you know, the things I was tolerating, things I was putting up with at work, the things that how I was managing personally with everything. It was just a hot mess to, to say the least. And um, I laugh now, but looking back, like there are so many moments of 
of fear, just uh, pure fear going into work, um, afraid of my boss or just afraid of not being able to speak up or just going home so exhausted, but having so much work to do and not knowing how to how to manage everything. Um, and then once you know, after a few years passed by and this cycle of burnout was perpetuating, I was able to transition to um, two jobs, uh, being an adjunct professor, which was really exciting, and then part or per diem actually in a clinical job. And then I started to realize gradually over that experience that I can heal. I was healing from burnout. I was giving myself flexibility and I found that I really liked teaching and um, I was listening to a lot of personal development at this time. Um, during my time of burnout, I wasn't engaged in any personal development. Um, so I was pretty, like, just didn't have any resources at all at the time. Um, so in this new stage of my life, just listening to everything, I started to, over time, this idea started to uh, unfold that I could help people with my story and make a business. And it wasn't like any one defining moment, but it was actually on a plane ride to a wedding. I thought of, wow, I can, I can create courses and help people and I can redefine what it means to be an OT and use my story to help other OTs through, through education, through resources, through, through all that stuff. So it was very gradual. I never set out to do this, but I think it was like, a blessing in disguise to go through this um, because it's the reason it's the heart behind what it is that I do. And you, you're obvious. I mean, that's obvious just listening to you. That you're very passionate about this. Um, and, and I think part of that's another thing that caught me is that your story uh, resonates quite closely with myself and some things that I've been through as well. Um, and especially, and I just made this connection just then as you were talking about it, um, while you were sort of in that burnout phase, how you weren't doing any sort of personal development. And I was, um, it, it did make me think because so I've been involved with various sort of online OT projects, um, for OT, Facebook groups, that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of networking groups. I started the mental health for OT group, which is just a big mental health networking group kind of thing. Um, like I, and I used to do a lot of work with OT Australia, that kind of thing, uh, run webinars, all that kind of stuff. So I used to be really involved. I used to call them extracurriculars. So they were like OT-related activities that weren't you know, my actual job. And then when I was going through that burnout phase, I and it was a conscious decision at the time, started to really pull back on those things. And in my head, I was justifying it as I'm not coping at work. I need to, you know, as fun as these things are and as much as I enjoy them, I need to pull that back because I need to put that energy back into work so that I can get on top of that. And then obviously that just burnt me out completely because then I didn't have anything that I was really enjoying about the profession and I was being burnt out at work and I was putting all my energy into work um, and it just completely cooked me uh, and to the point where, yeah, I mean, I left. Um, and it took, like I took, leave I took my long service leave so I took like six months leave and was just doing like I, I think you called it per diem but it's like just like casual teaching um and I reckon it took pretty much almost all of that six months to sort of come out of that um oh, and yeah. feel like myself again and then then I started sort of re-engaging slowly 
in those extracurriculars. And this podcast is part of that. Um, it was one of the things that, you know, I, a lot of the, the stuff that I'd done was sort of already established and it didn't really need a lot of input, but I needed something new. I needed a new challenge. I needed to engage with the profession in a new way. And this is something I kind of always wanted to do. Um, so it just seemed like the, the right time as I was starting to, I guess, come out of my shell again. Um, and, and I'm in a new job, new place, you know, really enjoying it. And like you, you mentioned as well, a lot more flexibility. Um, Mm -hmm. and another thing that I've noticed is a lot more autonomy. And I feel that during that time when I was going through that sort of burnout stuff, I didn't, I'd lost that. And I'm wondering whether you think autonomy, because in my head it it, it is, but whether autonomy is a big player when it comes to burnout or whether it's sort of unique to the individual and some people might and some people don't? Oh, that's such an interesting question. And it's cool that you acknowledge that for yourself because um, in all the research that I've been doing for my course, um, autonomy plays a huge role in burnout and decreased control with high levels of stress can lead to burnout. So if you have low levels of control, whatever you perceive that to be, um, you know, it could be scheduling, it could be hours you work, it could be, um, there's varying degrees to it. And it's, you know, some people might need more than others. But I think ultimately, if you don't feel that um, you can control any aspects of, of your job and you feel maybe limited and even the, the way you perform treatments, the evaluations or assessments, that you administer, if you feel like there's no flexibility at all, then you feel that you start to feel uh, perhaps like a disconnect or a a misalignment. And Mm. that creates um, uh, the word um, like contempt, contentment. Yep. Or yeah, it it creates this disconnection and um, autonomy was something like just in my experience, um, I felt completely like in the, in my second job where I was actually experienced the worst and most intense burnout, that's where, um, I had, I had no control. And, and in fact, it was, um, I felt, you know, there's many different things that contribute to burnout in terms of rewards, um, community, you have your workload, um, you have autonomy, um, fairness and values. And even though my rewards in terms of a financial reward was, no one can complain about it. I mean, it looked really good on paper and I was happy with it. It was that that wasn't enough. It was the lack of autonomy where I felt like I had no say in who I saw, what my schedule was like, when, you know, if I, if I can like, um, I'm just thinking about like every single thing from paperwork to scheduling, to patient load, to, uh, what I can like even just my, my prefer, like my professional input and my clinical um, expertise, it was like, things had to be done a certain way. Mm. They did things this way. If you, if someone came in without a prescription or a plan of care, but they're in the door, like you, you have to see them just kind of like a lot of unethical things in that mix. So it was just like that lack of control was so stressful to me and it outweighed the, the reward It outweighed, um, you know, maybe the the convenience of the benefits and, and those type of things. So I think people seek that and they seek to be valued and they, they seek for their voices to be heard and appreciated, I think more so than um, the the reward, although that is important. And of course, that's what sustains you and provides you living. It's when you go 
especially millennials, I think you want to be a part of this greater purpose when you work. So mm. you want to feel that community and you want to feel that autonomy so that you can grow in the company and not feel stagnant. And that, that was and like, I, I a thousand percent relate to everything you just said. Um, I, I was lucky in a way that, because like you talked about earlier about some people sort of feel like, or like trapped kind of thing yeah. by that. And I think that was one of the reasons why I stayed in that position for so long was because mm -hmm. I felt essentially financially trapped because like the money that I was earning was really good. Um, I didn't really know what to do next as well. I'm like, I can't right. just leave this and then not have anything to go into um, so like I was considering, you know, everything, like starting my own business, I was considering all sorts of things. And then something came up at the exact right time and it just worked out well in the end. Um, but like the job that I went into was a like absolutely monstrous pay cut. Like it was a oh, fraction, but the lifestyle and the fact that I actually enjoyed getting out of bed and going to work again was worth every cent. Like, And that was, I think, a turning point for me because at that point, up until that point, it was always career, 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 got to progress, got to progress. And that progression always came with more money, more money, more responsibilities, more busyness, blah, 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 blah. And it was at that point that I went, well, why? <laughs> like, so what? I've got more money, but what am I going to do with it? Um, yeah. I'm like, I can be, you know, have heaps of money and be as miserable as, or I can enjoy life, you know, I, and I'm not skimping. I'm just being a bit more smart with the, I used to buy a lot of stupid shit that I didn't need. And now I only buy a little bit. Um, but it, that it was the real turning point where I realized that there are some things that are worth more than money and being able to get out of bed and actually enjoy going to work. Like I'll get out of bed. I'll go up this like the, today. Like I went to work, I was an hour and a half early just because I'm like, you know, I'll get in early and get stuff done. Like I actually enjoy going to work. That never would have happened. Um, uh. in previous, I was lucky to get there like bang on the time. Cause I didn't want to be there a minute earlier or a minute after when I needed to be. Um, so uh, that was a massive turning point for me in that, you know, uh, lifestyle then held for the first time, I think, ever held more weight than money. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, that, was a, that, that changed a lot of other things as well in my life, like even outside of work. Like it, it was just a completely new perspective. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, a lot of people and like, I think a lot of companies use that maybe to their advantage. Like we can, we pay you X, Y, Z and you should do, therefore you should or have to do whatever we say. That's kind of like how I felt in my situation because it was too good to be true on paper, but it's just like the way I felt I was treated and the unfairness and the injustice and everything else that came with it was not worth that. And I, I know some people that um, have this personality or they have this value where they'll kind of put up with anything because they need to get, make as much money as possible. And I know people that will work um, six days a week, or maybe I know people that will take up a weekend shifts and they'll work sometimes 14 days in a row straight. And um, 
like I can never, I can never do that. I can never recommend that because, um, why, well, what's the point, you know, like just what's the point of putting yourself through where that you can't recover, there's no recovery time hmm. and you're not turning off. You're always on. Um, but you're, and you're also putting up with maybe not the most, um, ideal quality of care at this point because you, you can't recover. And maybe, you know, I've just been in situations and I have worked with people and I've seen, um, other people that they, um, where they put themselves through this, or maybe they stay at a place longer than they should. They, they, they don't agree with anything that's being done there, but they're doing it for the money. And I just think that if you have that mentality where you're just living for the weekend um, and you're just living to buy things, um, then I, I don't I can't believe that you're fulfilled with your job and your work, um, because I think that that comes first and that has to I think that's why people do for some people, that's why they may burn out because they think the financial reward is the only thing that that is worth it. But if it comes to any other aspect of being taken care of, then um, they're not, it's not important to them. And maybe they realize that, that that's why they're burning out. Yeah. And that I, I you're just describing my life at the moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I was literally that, like living for the weekend and, yeah. you know, but then you'd be, really flat or really low and you go and mm -hmm. try and buy things to make me happy and then it'll be Sunday and it'll be like oh god I gotta go to work tomorrow and like it was just a repetitive cycle of crap um and I think one of the and I don't know whether you've come across this but one of the things that kind of helped me with that was learning about minimalism um oh. Mainly because it kind of it, it fit really well with this new perspective that I was sort of gaining on living and you know what I needed and all that kind of stuff and the fact that it, it alerted me. I'd never actually thought about uh, this cycle of you know you're trying to earn more money so you can buy more things and you're buying more things to try and make you happy. When if you eliminate all of that, there's other ways to be happy. You can be happy within yourself and you know with the people that you love and all that kind of stuff. Um, it alerted me to that sort of vicious cycle as well of trying to earn more, to buy more, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so kind of taking some lessons from that. I've done a podcast on minimalism on, I don't remember, number three, four, five, I don't know, early. Um, <laughs> but the the values, not necessarily, and I, as you can see from the pile of crap behind me, uh, <laughs> I'm far from a minimalist, I think. It's something I am continuing to work towards because, uh, and, and that's sort of something that's helped me. Like I said earlier, like I used to buy a lot of rubbish that I didn't need, um, and that learning about the values around minimalism, even though I'm not you know diehard about it, um, helped me to I guess prioritize the things that you know only bring things into my life that are actually going to bring me joy or mm -hmm. value or add value to my life, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I still buy stuff, but I don't. Like, I, I'm much more conscious of it. And I, I feel even just that process of just being more conscious in life, um, yeah. not even just buying things, just in life in general, um, has helped 
uh, I guess try and minimise, no pun, uh, the any sort of um, high stress or burnout sort of that might have affected me previously. It doesn't affect me as much. I feel like it's kind of built a bit of a resilience buffer in there um, just by having that new perspective because I'm like I'm not like my new job. Yeah, it has stressful times and there are times when I do work weekends, but I work weekends by choice. Um, mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's something like I know like I've got this to get, to get done. That's not a worry. I don't have anything on this Saturday. I will spend seven, eight hours working. That's fine. Um, so um, it's by far not a like no stress environment, but I think now that I have a new perspective and I'm not caught in that uh, loop, it, it right. doesn't affect me as much. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. I like you because you said by choice. So mm. that's your autonomy. Like you're and you're willing, so therefore you're engaged and therefore you'll be productive and therefore patients will be more satisfied. And it's like a positive cycle. Um and when people don't have that choice or they don't have a supportive environment. Um I think, you know, people talk about burnout like it's in isolation as in it is your responsibility, just do some self-care and you'll be fine. And, um, I actually have taken a course in the past on burnout. It was a continuing education course. And I couldn't believe what I was learning because it was just like what the content that was taught was take a vacation, you know, uh, work on your budget and save money to go on a vacation. And that was basically what I took from that course. I'm like, well, that's great vacation and time off is psychologically good for you. But um, there's much more to burnout than that. It's like you're, you know, you're neglecting the fact that when people get burnt out, it's because of the work environment and how how you respond to it can be burnout. It can be depression, you know, because burnout oftentimes mediates depression. Um, And I had anxiety before I've always had anxiety and then on top of burnout. So, um, and then like the your environment just, just says so much, you know, how are they going to support you through this? Are other coworkers burnt out too? Because you have to think about that. Like, is it a social thing where everyone's complaining and, and everyone feels that low energy, like you said, you know? And uh, I wonder whether, and you can probably, you've done a lot more research in this than I ever have, but um, I'm wondering whether people's perspective on it they see it more as a a separate thing. Like they, they see burnout as something more that happens to you as opposed to like the, this perspective change I had was I then started viewing burnout as uh, like a symptom of all these other things that had happened as opposed mm-hmm. to burnout. Here's burnout. Burnout's just happened to you kind of thing. Um, like, you know, it's, uh, like I think people would think about a lot in a lot of medical model stuff. Like you got a cold. A cold isn't the result of you know you running around half naked in the rain when it was cold. <laughs> it was you got a cold. Whereas and I think people think of burnout the same way. It's like oh you like it's almost like you caught the burnout. Yeah. <laughs> as opposed to the fact that there's all these other things and burnout's just the result. It's just what came out in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not going to. It's not about treating the burnout. Like you've got to treat or look at the lifestyle and the workload and the stress and all these little things that contributed to, you know, having this outcome of burnout as opposed to burnout being the, you know, the condition. Right. It's like the symptom and the cause. Like you're treating the symptom but not the cause. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
and it just yeah, I see. I think the the main thing I see because I, I work at the university now, so I'm teaching, um, and I hear I have heard from like students and that sort of stuff, and and new grads, and it like they go in and they're either they're usually just told this is what we do, this is how you do it. There's no autonomy, but the way the the workplaces are structured, the workplaces seem to treat. Yes, they're on paper doing something to, you know, try and prevent burnout. But what they're doing seems very superficial. It seems very like, you know, yes, we're still going to load you up with all of this work and we're still going to make you have to get it done by these deadlines and we're still going to, you know, not be able to offer you huge support around doing that, but Mm -hmm. have a couple of extra days off a year. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well... On paper, ah. yes, tick, you've done something, but yeah. it's really not actually targeting the issue. Oh, absolutely. Um, right now, we're in California. We're in Silicon Valley where Google and Apple, the headquarters are, are right here. And I hear about all these things that go into employee well-being. And if a fraction was a fraction, like if a fraction of that was put into um, healthcare, like that would just means so much because they're taking so like such good care of their employees. There's um, I've heard just incredible things like, you know, restaurants on campus and um, like, I'm sure there's gyms. I'm sure there's, I don't even know. Cause I've never been on these campuses personally, mm. but the things I hear, it's like, it's not reciprocated in healthcare, like in healthcare. In fact, I think we're really behind in terms of taking care of our employees. And it's not enough just to have a few extra days off. Um, although in short term, that may re- be a relief, but in terms of a bigger problem that's um, systemic, it goes, there's much more. I and mean, we should be doing much more to take care um, of our of our um, employees. That's why like, I've never been a manager or a supervisor, but I think um, when we talk about burnout and, and tackling it in terms of like, okay, let's bring on these um, resilience workshops for the employees. And if that's the only thing that's being done, again, you're giving away the power. You're um, not even um, acknowledging the fact that it's the upper management, it's the, the rules in place, it's all those things that kind of, um, what's the word, like stem like or no, like, yeah, like trickle downward yeah, yeah. to um, employees. So it's like you can make them as strong as as you want, but at some point, like when are you going to step up and support um, the well-being of employees? You know, I think in Apple there's like, or Google, I'm not sure which one, or maybe both, um, there's like a, a park inside. So people can get green, you know, be exposed to greenery and fresh air, like in the middle of the day and just like have these spaces where they can recover. You know, where's those spaces for us? Because every time I've worked somewhere, I just eat a sandwich at my desk doing notes. And it's <laughs> and it's like, there's, there's no place for it. There's no encouragement. There's nothing built in the environment to support your recovery in work or um, let alone outside of work because you're expected to respond to emails and submit evaluations at a certain time. So it's yeah. like, what if we change the way that we governed? You know, it's so in the, it's so individual for each clinic, each system, but what if we just had a conversation about changing some things and then we would reduce turnover because um, turnover 
costs a lot of money for organizations. And for you, it's, it's a big deal because it affects your mental health and your physical health. Um, it all kind of works together. Like you're, you know, it's not good for the organization, but yet the organization is not really paying attention to the needs, you know, of the employees. I think a lot of them probably look at like the cost of actually setting something up like that and right. try and, and I think the, the problem with a lot of those, so I think, and I could I could be way wrong on this, but someone like Google, this I don't know how long, like the CEO of well, Apple, Steve Jobs, he was there until he passed away, and now the new guy has been working there, you know, for twenty years. Like it's long term. Whereas a lot of the health service, like upper management, they're there for two or three years, and then that's right. it. So they're they're like, I don't want to see a deficit in the time that I'm here, kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it's like, well, I could think about setting this health service up for the next 15 years, even though I'm going to be here for three. But it just means that on paper, when they look at what I did while I was here, it'll be like, oh, they spent $15 million and <laughs> lowered productivity for a short period of time. Even though long-term, we know that that's going to be a better outcome. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't look as good for them on paper. And I, I do wonder whether that's the issue, is that there's no one either they don't stick around long enough or they're not around long enough or there's just no one ballsy enough to actually go, well, I'm going to cop that. It's going to look crappy for me on paper, but you know, I know the long term for this health service, it's going to be the best thing. Um, like I know I've read articles and stuff around like Google's uh, well-being policies and that kind of thing. And on terms of like other Silicon Valley-based companies, Google's pay is pretty ordinary like it's not that great but people are treated really well like they're given a lot of autonomy like yes they have to work on whatever google wants but there's times and i can't remember if it's half a day a week or a day a fortnight or something that they're given access to google's resources to work on whatever they want mm-hmm. and then that i mean and that's how google comes up with a lot of innovation because a lot of their new products are things that people have, you know, they've been given permission to use their creative side with, you know, resources they wouldn't normally have at home. Uh, and it benefits the company in the end. And yes, you know, okay, oh, they, they lost half a day of productivity, but look at the products that they're putting out. Like they're <laughs> easily one of the biggest companies in the world and they didn't get there on their own. They didn't get there because of the CEO only. Uh. Uh-huh, exactly. Like, otherwise they'd still just be a search engine. But uh-huh. they've got, you know, phones and computers and operating systems and, like, you know, they've got their own satellites. They've got all sorts of stuff now because of how they set up their their employee wellness. It, a lot of that came out of that. And mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I think the same thing could happen in health. Like, I, I, I've been in our job, like, it was my first job, actually, um, where we were encouraged to, and we, there wasn't as much pressure in this job. It wasn't a, it was half acute, half uh, like community rehab in mental health. Um, but we were encouraged to be creative and come up with new resources. And so, like the number of resources and things that we designed from scratch in that job, I haven't done probably in all the other jobs I've had combined. And it was because, like, the team, like the management, gave us permission. Like, when yeah, go for it. And because of that, like we had an amazingly close team. Like I'm still in contact with most of them, and I haven't been there in 
you know, eight, nine years. Mm. Um, we had an amazing close team. Like the team went through some really rough crap, but the team itself held together. Um, I didn't feel burnout at all in that job, even though thinking back, I'm like, man, we got put through the ringer kind of thing. Yeah. But because we had these sort of other mechanisms in place, like being able to, and we were encouraged to, you know, write research and, you know, create resources and try new things with clients. Like, okay, you've never tried this before. Give it a go. Let's see what happens. Um, like we were encouraged to do that stuff and it helped. It worked. And at the time, it was a team, it doesn't actually exist anymore, which is one of the things that the team went through. Um, but at the time, it was the only team of its kind in the state. Wow. Wow. That's like, so I read a research article about what you just said about um, a smart leader and smart businesses encourage inside entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, and they encourage that creativity because like you said I mean, you just described it perfectly. And of course, I'm not saying small independent clinics have the budget of Google <laughs> or anything like, like that, but um, it's those same principles that on a much smaller scale that will help employees to feel, you know, not only to retain them for, for a long period of time, because that's what Google aims for. They want a, the longest retention as possible, but it's for you to feel that autonomy and that, you know, you have, let's say like a half a day out of the week to research or, or take that time to take a continuing education course, or maybe take that time to run errands or, you know, like that, that's sort those little things are, are more appreciated, I think, than, than what employers think. And, and many times, you know, managers or, or supervisors, they're often promoted or upgraded without may, maybe intending to be. And or they let's say it's someone intended, OK, maybe I'm going to move my way up the ranks in this company, but no one prepared them to be a leader. So so I see that a lot where people are just put in these positions and they're expected, you know, they have people under them have to execute and meet and meet um, productivity. But where is the actual leadership? And I think mm. that is so lacking in many of my experiences where like, there's a difference between a boss and a leader. And there's a difference between telling someone what to do versus creatively collaborating with them on you know, what, what can we do to make this better? How are you feeling about this? What's realistic for you? How can we solve this problem? I don't, I have not really seen that. And I hope that, you know, the conversation like this, we can start that change. I see those sorts of, you know, conversations happening in other organizations, but not necessarily um, in, in healthcare. And you know what, I, actually, I've read, I heard an article from the Mayo Clinic um, there in Minnesota, I believe, in the US, and they have initiatives for their um, physicians because there's a huge problem with physician burnout. And mm. in the US, like it's estimated that one doctor commits suicide a day. So it's around, you know, close to 400. Like that's, that's what's been averaged. So it's like, I know initiatives in large systems are being created for a physician well-being and to reduce that, you know, that, that's um, statistic. But in terms of, you know, that's, that's just one place. That's just one initiative, but um, globally for OTs, PTs, I feel like even like speech therapists, I just feel like maybe our voices and um, aren't being heard. And as my, I had a colleague that used to say, we don't have a seat at the table. 
So, you know, just those sorts of things, these conversations, we can help change that. Yeah. And I think just touching on what you said before about like small clinics and that kind of thing, not having the you know budget of Google and that kind of thing. I think for me, what's really important to keep in mind with regards to that is why people got into that profession in the first place. So if someone's moving in, whether it be a state health service or a private business, they never got into that profession to service your business. Mm-hmm. They got into that profession like OT, for example. They got into that profession nine times out of ten because they wanted to help people. They wanted to right. make systems better. They wanted to you know, make make a difference for communities. They wanted to like there'd be a million reasons why. And I think if we're able to or if they're able to tap into that, which I think is what Google does, like Google with regards to their like giving people time, they're like, you know, their coders or whatever they're called, their software engineers got into it because they really love software. They really love creating things. They really love making things, not being told what they needed to do i need you to make this like giving them that autonomy to essentially follow their passion i think one you're gonna stop people from falling out of love with their profession and two you're gonna get some new innovative ideas that are gonna benefit your business or health service anyway like if you have someone and just a tiny little health service maybe like a couple of therapists and you've got someone that got into the profession because they wanted to uh, you know, make a community better. So their their real passion is sort of community development or health promotion on a community level. You can harness that. If it's not something you've ever even looked into as a business and it's not something maybe maybe you as the boss as even, you know, it might not be one of your interests, you've never even considered it, that could open up a whole avenue for your business to go down that you never even thought of. So from a business point of view, tapping into people's passions and why they're actually there in the first place can have amazing repercussions for the business as well as you're going to have much happier clinicians working for you. You're going to have much better outcomes for your clients because you've got much happier clinicians. You're going to have massive drops in sick leave, which means it's mm-hmm. not going to be costing you a fortune for that. Like mm-hmm. it seems, I know I'm probably really simplifying this issue, <laughs> because to me it just seems really simple but and i know there's obviously logistics especially with bigger health services it's probably a lot harder than little ones but i think that's where it starts i think it might have to start with the little guys um showing that you know like look how successful you can make this little practice just by these simple changes and you don't necessarily have to i think do like google and give someone a day a week to do whatever they want i don't think you need to do that i just think you need to allow people the autonomy to tap into their passions even while they're doing their work. Like I know clinically I've worked in teams where that has been a thing and it wasn't necessarily that I was given, you know, complete autonomy to do whatever I wanted. But within my caseload, like say I had a new, uh, an interest in, like I worked in mental health my whole career, I had an interest in neuroplasticity. I had a client that presented with, you know, uh, Parkinsonian symptoms at the time and so I was allowed to run some like neuroplastic type programs with them which wasn't had never been done here it had never even been considered but 
I was allowed that freedom. I was, I was you know, because it was an interest of mine. I had all the research. I had everything there. I was able to back it up and say, look, look, this stuff works for some people. Can we try it? And I know managers that would have just gone, no, just, you know, do your normal whatever and, you know, fix it, get them out kind of thing. Um, but the manager I had at the time was like, yeah, like, let's give it a crack. Let's see what happens. And I just think that, that was probably the last time besides the job I'm in now, but before my burnout, that was the job before the burnout one, um, when I felt really like this is awesome. Like I actually love going to work because I can do things that I really find I'm really passionate about uh, and it makes just such a massive difference. And then the cons- yeah, think- then the client gets a, a benefit because you know yeah okay this is new it's, it hasn't been tried with him but it's been shown to have really good effects for Parkinsonian symptoms, um, and the service gets to go yeah look how innovative we are like tick this box yeah whatever they need to do for the innovation side of thing but that, that didn't worry me because I got to do what I was really passionate about. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's that's because like it was beyond just collecting a paycheck and beyond just treating a caseload. It was a passion that it's once you get into, as you know, as an OT, that flow, mm. <laughs> once you get into flow and you feel like you're doing meaningful work, then you're very connected with your work. Um, actually, one of the biggest factors that leads to burnout is um, the disconnect between your values and the values of the organization. And so when whenever there's a discrepancy then what happens is that there's a discrepancy and therefore your work actually becomes meaningless and no one wants to do meaningless work. And the stronger that and the bigger that void is, um, the more of that meaningless work becomes meaningless and then you become exhausted because it takes a lot of energy to pretend that you want to do this work that is, has no meaning to you. And so that energy leads into exhaustion and then it just burnout is amplified. Um, And it's like, you have to define what are your values? What are the values um, of this company? And actually um, where I got burnt out the most, I actually had flexibility to create a dance program and I'm a dancer. And that was one thing that I truly just was so excited about was to work with these patients and to be able to have the freedom to implement my dance, um, my dance technique therapeutically, that was like, if, if it weren't for all the other things, I probably would have stayed there forever. Um, just because I (laughs) love, that was what, it was just the thing that got me so excited that I can use my dance degree and, and combine that therapeutically, but it was just too many other things that, um, other values. There are way other, there were way other values that were misaligned, um, ethically. So I couldn't, but because if, if you took all that away, the values of allowing me to play around with dance, that was what really something I enjoyed. And, um, I think you just had, it's like having conversations at work with coworkers, with, um, managers and supervisors, you know, maybe outside of meetings, because what I learned is that if you want to come up with something, if you want to ask your boss something or confront them about something, um, it's best to do it privately. So they don't feel like they're, um, they, that, that pressure to respond in a meeting. But if you want to bring something up to your supervisor's attention, you know, a one-on-one meeting and, and doing your research, making sure this is something that 
other coworkers can agree on that you feel like, you know, maybe you should start this initiative or you want flexibility in this area. Like, I just think it takes courage, but you know, the worst that can happen is a no. And then you might start to believe, and then that might lead you to think, oh, well, if this environment does not support my growth in, in the way I, you know, if they're not open to, to what am I, what I have to, to offer, you know, let's, there's other factors involved, of course. Um, it could be not the right time. It could be, you know, like just maybe there's other things going on, but if you, I think you have to realize in the long term, you know, like you can be engaged at, at work, Mm -hmm. but, um, like, do you, do you see yourself really growing? Do you see that this place is supporting you? Do you feel like you're supported by this environment? So, so so many questions that go into it. And I think a lot of people, um, they, they, they turn over it because they feel like they didn't, they couldn't even get to a place where they could ask for what they wanted because the environment didn't even support that type of openness. So that, you know, like that's a shame because you want that talent. You want to keep people that and you want to see them grow and you want to be a part of that growth. So I think that's really important. Yeah, 100%. Um, values is my wheelhouse. That's one thing that within OT I'm really passionate about. Uh, and I've made a few podcasts around values and how to use them in clinical uh, settings and that kind of thing. Um, what you were saying just then I'm just curious what you think as to whether or not, because I know for me, like by the time I realized it was burnout, it was too late. Like I was Mm. way past it. And I'm wondering whether, and I also know the same thing with regards to values is that a lot of people aren't consciously aware of what their values are. Like it's just not something most people think about really until, you know, they're forced to or they're asked to or, you know, it's brought up by me in a classroom. Um, Sorry, students. Uh, I'm wondering whether you think there's any correlation with being aware of what your values are and either that limiting or reducing burnout or catching it earlier. Hmm. That's a good question. I think what happened to me is that I didn't realize it um, either, you know, until it was too late. Um, And for most people, that's what happens. I like to think of the analogy where when you go in the ocean and you're swimming or maybe you're just standing in the water and you're chatting and you see your towel and you see your umbrella and then maybe 20 minutes go by and you look back at the sand and you've completely drifted. You're like, oh, I didn't realize that the water has been uh, carrying me and I, I've been so caught up. I didn't realize that I was moving and I'm, but my towel was like a mile away. I think the same goes with burnout. Like you, you're, It's a lack of awareness to maybe your needs, to the environmental factors. And then when you look back and you realize, oh, like when you get to that point where it's painful and you you look, you've seen all these things happen, little things, little things over time, little things, you know, that uh, occur day by day. And then you look back and you realize, um, wow, like you, most people don't realize it until something painful happens. And it's hard to catch as it's, it's happening because there's a lot of mixed things that go into it it's exhaustion is a really obvious one Mm. um you know you're feeling exhausted either most of the time it's more of like an emotional exhaustion um and then that kind of like the first sign but then once you start to feel in your gut or in your heart or you start to feel distant um i just think a lot of people don't make that part as known 
because I know like, at least in the U S there's people enjoy bragging about how miserable they are. Like they'll brag about, um, you know, how, how much work they're doing or how exhausted they are. But in fact, um, people don't like to talk about that they're disconnected from their job or from the profession because it's seen more of a, as a taboo, like you don't talk about that, but you can brag about how tired you are. And, and that's why it's so hard for people to like pinpoint burnout. And then also just like your, your entire efficacy is affected. You, you feel like what I'm doing doesn't matter. I don't feel like I'm a good clinician. I'm, and, and these things happen and they're, they bring upon they bring this shame upon you. Like, um, I felt shame, like I wasn't doing a good job and, um, I felt shame for even feeling distant at first from the profession because I thought I shouldn't be thinking this, you know? And it's like, it's hard to identify because you suppress that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we have, we have similar here. It's almost like, you know, if you're bright and happy and feel amazing, you're not working hard enough. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, we're obviously not working hard enough or, you know, it's not, it couldn't possibly be that you're actually looking after yourself really well. It's that you're not working hard enough. Or if you are looking after yourself really well, it means you can do more work because now Mm. you've got extra capacity, which isn't true as well. And I always, especially in health, I usually, I like to use the analogy of, you know, like on a plane, they tell you to put your mask on first before you help other people. And I think it's the same, like for health, like if you're absolutely cooked and you're burnout and you are too fatigued to think and you're just not having a good time, we work in a profession that is meant to help other people yet we can't even like we're not looking after ourselves so i think to be and i'm not saying you can't be effective in that or, or you can't still see people when you're sort of approaching that burnout stage because like you see like you said most times you won't even notice until it's happened um but i think we need to look after ourselves better and i, I do think that's something that we can implement um, a lot earlier in people's careers is that almost like building a routine of self-care because obviously yeah. at the moment I think a lot of uh, like burn things around burnout are very reactive. So it's like once you burn out, then we'll look at teaching you these skills and these skills and now you can learn about, you know, things like yeah. mindfulness and meditation and, you know, exercise and all that sort of stuff like after you've already done it. Uh, after you've been burnt out whereas i think i do think that there needs to be a stronger emphasis from us even from a school level um on one teaching because a lot of the skills that i use anyway like i i ended up doing like things like mindfulness mindful meditation um you know healthy eating just all the basics sleep massive one like actually sleeping properly because i was when i was really stressed i was sleeping like five hours a night and it was broken and busted and it was terrible and forcing myself to get eight hours of sleep consistently had a massive impact um but like this is one of those times where i forgot what i was saying (laughs) i knew it was gonna happen it happens every time every time without fail um Oh, yeah, that's right. I remembered. <laughs> I think teaching people about those skills, and we do a lot of we we do do it with regards to these are things you can do with you know your client, your future clients when we're teaching them at school. We it's never really mentioned like these are also things you need to be doing for yourself. Like you're a health professional in that you need to look after your health 
as well. It's the same skill set. So whether it's framed as here's a skill you can teach to a client or here's a skill you can use yourself, it's exactly the same. It just needs to be taught that context that it can also be used by them, which is really not a huge effort. And it's something like I, I teach with, with my students in my classes when I teach them because I taught the I, taught, I teach a mental health subject. So mm-hmm. a lot of the interventions, and that's why I was saying before, like, on terms of values, like my students have just looked at their values inside and out multiple ways. They're probably the most self-aware people in the world at the moment, <laughs> which is good. I think it's amazing. Um, but I don't think, like I never got any of that when I went through, mind you, I went through 12, 15 years ago, something like that. Um, but mm-hmm. like there was none of that. There was never even a mention of values when I went through university. Um, so, and even in when I was working clinically, that was only something that sort of came out clinically in probably the last four or five years is when I started using values clinically. Before that, it was all, you know, function and occupation. I mean, it's still there, but now we know how values actually impacts that. So, you know, we can use values in an occupational way. We also know that values need to align for you know, for burnout and things like that, but it needs to be applied to themselves. And I think that's one good thing that I had going with the class that I just taught was in the process of teaching them about these different things, they were doing it themselves. So they became self-aware, you know, I taught them a certain values assessment and they had to do it. So they learned about their own values in the process of learning a skill that they could use with clients, you know, when they graduate and that kind of thing. I probably do need to do a better job of highlighting that this is really important for you as well. It's something that I did highlight with our sort of our fourth years because we're it's a bachelor program, so it's four years. Um, just literally just before they graduate, I think it was when I had them for the mental health workshop. It was like three weeks before they graduated is when I highlighted like self care, very mm. important. But mm-hmm. I think I could probably do that with some of the earlier students that I teach in the course as well, second years, first years maybe, Um, because I think it's something that ideally like they can use the stuff through uni as well, like students burn out as well. It's not just clinicians. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's this is an area that's completely fascinating to me, which is why I was so like hooked when I found all your stuff online. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're, you know, you have that insight that you can – I know I didn't get that either in my education, not that it was not to say that my education wasn't complete, but this would have been something that would have really supported just our, us as a person and as a clinician. And I think that you, you get that, that you want to transfer that to your students. And it's, um, it's something that I'm really, you know, obviously passionate about. And the thing about it is that you're totally right about the prevention thing. And I'm passionate about, uh, getting this conversation started and getting the the education and the, and the resources available for people before it happens. And this is kind of like, we learned about the different tiers of prevention in school. And um, in terms of, I can't remember quite what they were, but it's like you have different degrees of prevention. So if someone's already at risk, right? That's one thing. And in healthcare, we are at risk just off the bat, just being in healthcare, because we are caring for the lives 
and the needs uh, of others. So we are already at risk to burning out. And that's in the, the literature and the research that I've done. So there should be more attention um, to that. And that's why it's like, yeah, we wait until it's too late to start t- taking care of ourselves, which you're, you're totally right. That's not should be the other way around. And I think it's really getting people to understand the importance of, yes, it's my, it may not be a physical disease, but the way burnout manifests, it can manifest physically mm-hmm. with and everything you said about the sleep and the stress. Um, and, and there's so many other, um, physical things. It, it's so intertwined. You can't tease them apart. Like it, they're so connected. Um, so like you don't want to get to a place where you experience that because every day we brush our teeth to prevent plaque and to prevent cavities. And, um, you know, when I was going through burnout, if I, I wish like I could go back in time and I've taken the course I made so that I can at least be able to avoid so much you know, pain and suffering. But of course, I, I believe I went through that so that I can, you know, help people. But it's just like, now I'm like, wow, if I would have known, like, just the basic things, just the basic 101 of not just taking care of my myself in terms of like my energy and my sleep and my, my, um, just my, my personal self care, but also taking care of my en- energy at work, how to protect your energy at work, how to have tough conversations, um, how to identify just, um, different styles of leadership at work and like how all that plays together. It just, these are things that may be overlooked. And you, again, if you're brand new and you graduated and you're, you're working your first job, a lot of people are just so excited and they're just so excited to have a job and this is their first job and they may overlook completely everything that, you know, maybe someone that's been burned out can look at that and be like, Oh, those are the signs, early signs of burnout, but you're just, you weren't prepared to, to deal with that. And so you're going to, it's going to happen over years. And that's basically like, you know, where's that beginning component of like helping people to understand like burnout. And that's like, I, I I do wonder, like I've toyed with some ideas, you know, around doing, you know, some mindfulness or something at the beginning of each lesson kind of thing. Just something like you talked about with toothbrushing, like why do we do that? And it was because, you know, we, got health education from when we were this high and, you know, mum and dad have always done it and they told us that we had to and we got in trouble if we didn't do it. Like even if we didn't actually know why we were doing it or what the benefits were, we got told that, you know, this will stop your teeth falling out when you're an adult. Um, it was just drilled into us as kids and I think, not I'm not saying we need to like drill that kind of stuff into kids but it, i think introducing it early either students or even you know i i've seen you know you see those little videos and stuff on facebook of like you know teachers that do like mindful meditation and stuff with primary school kids and high school kids and like introducing that stuff early because i think i i also think it probably wasn't like it wasn't a thing when I went through uni. Like mindful meditation was something that monks did in the mountains. Like mm-hmm. it, it wasn't anything when I was when I was at uni. It didn't exist essentially. Um, whereas now, and I think the world is a very different place when I was at uni, even though I feel old when I say it, but even though it was only 15 years ago or whatever when I started, um, the world was a completely different place and it's moving so much faster 
now. Everything is moving, 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 deadlines, 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 stress, stress, workloads increasing, like everything is different compared to 15 years ago. And I think it's more important now than ever. Like I think if we had a vi- if we have seen this coming back then, we could have implemented stuff that would have completely changed the health landscape now. But obviously that's hindsight and we're dealing with what we've got now. So by like what you're trying to do with burnouts lit up or with um, joy energy time um, is trying to one, help people now that are experiencing it, but also like once you help those people, they're going to help other people. And then those people are going to help other people. And then those people are going to help other people. And, I am assuming this is I'll get to the question in a second. <laughs> My assumption <laughs> is that your vision for all of this is to have an impact on whatever the health system looks like or whatever the the world looks like in the next 15 years. Yeah, yeah, that that's sorry. You, no, no, go you're ahead. Right. You're right. <laughs> no, like I was just thinking that's that's exactly what I'm I'm on a mission, you know, like that's my mission and um, I just didn't think it would be enough to be okay or complacent. And that's really, I had to really question my values in developing this. And that even inspired the name because, um, we think about joy and that's such a strong word. And, and just like, are we living our lives inside and out, um, in all facets and all dimensions of our lives, are we truly living the lives that we deserve? Are we being active or proactive in making the changes we want to see in healthcare? Or are we just working in a system that was set up, you know, by the last generation and we're just kind of putting up with this and perpetuating this cycle without making a real change and really stepping up the the game professionally and personally for us to be able to thrive in, in our lives because um when I was going through this journey and I know I made some great friends and I'm still friends with some of the therapists I worked with, but overall, just looking at the lives of the the supervisors that were maybe 10 years older and have had more experience and just looking at the big picture, I was a little afraid of where I would, I was going to be honest, because I just saw people that, um, like I said, like live for the weekends, perpetually complaining, like, this is how things are. Um, if you're happy, you're not doing it right. Um, just perpetual <laughs> fear. Yeah, just fear. And um, I didn't, it was like static organizations. And I know not, not that everywhere I worked was static, but that's just basically the scheme of looking at, you know, having a lot of friends in the industry, like you, you get to know like where people are working and what they're doing. And it's like everything, like we can change that. We can just change the, the dynamics and make maybe good things better or take things that aren't good and make them great and just work on creating a better system and supporting thriving therapists that love, that are in love with their jobs and love with their organizations and in love with taking care of themselves. And I think that just triggered another thought. Maybe with regards to what I was saying before about how like the world has changed in that 15 years, we're still with a system that was designed for what the world was and it's not keeping up with where it is now. And it's not, it's not changing. And this has happened, this happens in tech. This has happened in a lot of different industries. 
the systems we have in place aren't keeping up with how rapidly the world's changing. And I think our systems around looking after our employees back in the day, you know, early industry, like not early industry, but like, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, paying people more may have been the right system. Like that may have been all that was needed. You know, then people could, you know, back when people were single, single income households, that kind of thing, like that may have all been needed. Like, yeah, you can, you know, pay a cleaner or you can whatever, whatever. But now that system doesn't work for the world that we live in now. And I think the 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 information that you're putting out um, through your podcast and through your website and through your Instagram as well um, is, to me, looking at, uh, I guess, a new model, like a new how can we change that system or how can we change our own system so that it actually will meet the demands of the world today um and that's what obviously you know that and my personal journey that really connected with it but i think that's what really i was like i have to talk to these people i have to get these people on my podcast because it's interesting and that's what I <laughs> yeah yeah, I agree with you a thousand percent. Like, um, it's things were made for things, how things were done back then. Um, and I see leaders that really care about being a part of their team, not just telling their team what to do. I see those. I just see that as being a really good indicator that you are working in, in the right place that, that promotes change and, and, and progress and really um, looking and it, it's actually empowering for employees because then you feel like you are a part of something bigger. And that's why like exactly what you said earlier, we entered this profession to help people, not necessarily to subscribe to this one company. And, you know, many times back in our parents' generation, people just got one job and worked there 20, 30 years or whatever. And maybe they got you know, I've seen it, what happened to my mom every five or 10 years, she'll get like a really nice gift or something, you know, just for her commitment there. And that in in our world, I don't think that, that, that happens as, as much. I mean, maybe there are long-term therapists, but you know, you know, how can we create organizations where not just the ultimate goal is retainment, but beyond that, like supporting well-being and engagement, because you can be working somewhere for 20 years, but not engaged. And a lot of, you know, there's two different routes. You can work somewhere and, you know, and then you can be considered loyal, but you're, if you're not engaged, is that true loyalty? Like, are you just loyal to the company because you're, you've burnt out and therefore a part of you is dead inside. And it's, and maybe whether you want to admit it or not, that could be the case or is loyalty high engagement and you know like what are you seeking like what are employers seeking you know and i think some people think they confuse loyalty with engagement whereas mm. that's that necess- that's not the case all the time so with joy energy time is your what, what's your main target is it individuals or is it companies and businesses so right now we have a course, um, a, a continuing education course for individuals. And the where I'm at right now in this in this interview is that I'm working with other agencies uh, for continuing education, and I'm providing, I'm creating courses for them so they can sell to their audiences. So several other continuing education agencies, and right now that's really taking up a lot of my time. Mm-hmm. Also, um, that and 
the podcast, but what, what I see, cause I do this with my husband, Mike. So what we're working on is ideally I want to get in front of the eyes or, you know, get in front of the people that are in charge and, and make this more of a workshop or more of a training or a program for systems. Because again, you can only do so much at the individual level. And in my course, I really promote and I, I um, have this completely comprehensive approach so that even though you are an employee, even though you are an individual, that at least you can take away everything to empower yourself to advocate effectively to Mm. your best of your abilities. And then, you know, the more people we have, the more employees we have that can make a change that can be well equipped with the, all the preventive, uh, preventative strategies, um, and knowing how to not just care for themselves, but to advocate for all those you know, things we were talking about. If you have an employee that has that is equipped with this knowledge and the resources and the strategies, then what happens is that you start to have people that speak up more, people that are looking for this change. And then you can change organizations from the inside out that way, you know? So I don't want to underestimate the power of an employee, but I also want to, I also want to get into um, organizations and talk to teams because I think the more people from all the different um, levels of an organization, then the the faster the change can occur. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And you said you have an online training thing. Is that on your website or where can people find that? Yeah, yeah, it's on the website, joyenergytime.com. Um, it's an online course. It is um, in the United States for certain states, not all of them. It's a continuing education course, so you can get um, CEUs from it. But regardless if it's CEU format or not, I mean, I'm working, there's a lot of red tape and a lot of rules and stuff to get it approved for all the states. And I don't even know about internationally. Um, But I mean, as far as anyone taking the course, anyone in healthcare is welcome and encouraged to take the course. And um, it's... Uh, it's considered a seven hour continuing education course, but it's a lot less than seven hours because it accounts for workbook time and, um, and time to pause and complete exercises. So it could be done in a day or broken up, um, you know, between, uh, like a few days out of the week. So, um, it just depends like how you consume, um, your, your, your content. But, um, so yeah, this course is on my website, um, it's in a really cool um, program or um, I don't know what it's called, but the, where the course is housed, LMS. it's a really easy learning, to use learning management system. Yeah. In the learning management system, it's housed <laughs> in. I just wasn't sure what it was called. Um, it's really easy to use and actually, actually really like it. It's not what I call a boring CEU. I wouldn't make anything <laughs> boring. So, And I know just from an Australian point of view, because CPD stuff is something I've done a fair bit of work on over my time. Um, we have, we, we count hours, um, and there's three different categories that you can claim mm-hmm. your hours in. And even if it's not registered, so it's not, because only one of the categories, I think it's called formal courses or formal education you can still count that if you were to do it in australia you can still count that under one of the other categories so you could you'll still be able to claim um hours for doing it for your registration in australia oh that's awesome yeah i didn't know about 
I didn't, haven't even looked up international, so thank you for addressing that. Yeah, so I know I do know some of them, like some countries have like official points, and we do have some courses, like a lot of our OT Australia run courses are like official. You know, you get sixteen hours for this conference or six hours for this course or whatever. Right. Um, but that's only one category that we can claim hours under. So we have to do thirty hours a year. Um, and we've got three different categories that we can claim under. So we can claim things like, you know, personal research. Um, we can claim things like our supervision with other clinicians. We can claim, like, technically I could claim doing this podcast. Um, I don't because I don't need that, that many hours. But, um, yeah, like, you, there's lots of different things that we can claim. Um, so even if it doesn't fall under the um, official, like, registered uh, training program thing in Australia, we could still claim it under one of the other categories. No worries at all. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for breaking that down. That's all right. That's all right. I just know I've done some of my previous life projects, pre-burnout projects, let's call them, uh, have been like how to use things like different online technologies uh, for claiming CPD. So things like, you know, uh conversations that you might have over like in Facebook network groups or um, I know there's a lot of uh, CPD chats on Twitter. So there's like a weekly, no, monthly one based in the States. Uh, there's a weekly one based in the UK, uh, but like I can engage in them and I can still claim them uh, as CPD hours for myself, mm. um, things like that. So you got to get on Twitter. This is, you got to learn these things. <sighs> yeah, Twitter's the only one. I, I'm on too. I feel like I I just started to re-engage in Facebook, and I'm like, whoa! I I'm like spreading myself thin, but I'm I yeah, maybe I should get it. Um, but I'm like, I love Instagram, and then I'm also on Pinterest. So those are like the main places. Oh, I can't do Pinterest. It does my head. I tried years and years ago. It just it's not my jam. I just Instagram. I'm all over, but I use Instagram mainly for like powerlifting. I don't usually do a lot of OT related things on Instagram. Um, and I've got, you know, my various Facebook groups and stuff that I manage on Facebook, obviously. Uh, and Twitter is really good. Twitter is probably the one I use almost exclusively for mm, OT related okay. things. So cool. as I sent you the screenshot the other day of what I posted with regards to us talking today, and obviously you didn't see it because you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> So where can people find you? So you said you've got Facebook. What's is that for the podcast or for the business? What's what's the Facebook? Um, I have two like pages: one Joy Energy Time, and then one Burnt Out to Lit Up. Um, but you can also find me, friend me, uh, Erica Del Pozo Frasso. Really long name, um, so you might have to write it. That's my name and my husband's name. Um, uh, but you can find me on Facebook. But I. Um, if you find me on Instagram, I, I hang out there mostly. So it's joy.energy.time. Um, and then again, I have a separate Instagram for the podcast, Burnt Out to Lit Up, which I just started doing um, just to like create a distinction between the podcast and the, my, my business. And, and that, that's really where I'm at. And then, oh yeah, Pinterest is just Erica Del Pozo. Um, yeah, so that's it. <laughs> where can your podcast be found? Because it has possibly the funkiest logo also of any oh. podcast of a pineapple <laughs> wearing a, a stethoscope. Thank you. I um, I love pineapples, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> um, or else I wouldn't do it. Um, 
the okay yeah so that's everywhere itunes um we load our videos onto youtube as well we are on spotify soundcloud TuneIn, stitcher google play i think i said them all <laughs> so pretty much anywhere you'll find occupied Pod. you'll find uh burn out to lit up so you're on youtube as well yes is that under burn out to lit up or is it yeah I will add links to all of the above uh, into the show notes for this episode. That'll probably be easier for everyone than trying to remember it. So do you... Okay, yeah, cool. I just found it. Yay. Yeah, the the, the logo is... um, Did you make it? Inspired by... Well, we had a designer make it, but it was inspired by my husband and I just thinking, okay, I love pineapples, but and they represent some element of... I don't know, for me, just an element of liveliness and then add a stethoscope on it and you make it medical and and there you go. They're a very joyous fruit. No one can deny that. It's just (laughs) how it works. You can't look at a pineapple and go, that fruit is sad. Yeah. It's it's a happy fruit. You get happy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and having a chat. It's been a load of fun. Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed myself and uh, I hope we can chat again soon oh thank you thank you so much for having me I can't wait for you to be on our podcast <laughs>